My scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. Starting in the reading in verse 6, for context. Pew Bible, page 5. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray that the Lord would bless our sermon this morning. Lord, pray that by your Spirit you would help us to see a Father full of grace here in this word that you've given to us. To Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, hear now the reading of God's holy word. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Many of you probably can relate to this experience. Your parents leave you at home. They say they would like this thing done and that thing done. And instead, you break something of value or you don't do the things they ask you to do and you hear that terrible terrible sound. It's the car pulling into the driveway. It's the door to the car opening and closing. It's your parents coming up to the door to open the door to discover that you have wasted the whole day away doing nothing and you dirtied more dishes instead of cleaning them as you should have. And you left a mess and you had a friend over and you weren't supposed to or whatever it may be. And you have that tremendous sense that you are about to receive a whooping. Well, the scripture today is, is very much like that feeling that many of us have experienced, that many of us have shared, that feeling that our parents come home and we're in trouble. At least that's how many of us have probably read this story before. And so I hope that this morning we can see in this moment 
a great and wonderful expression of the grace of God. That's why our theme this morning is God finds us in our sin and calls out to us in love. God finds us in our sin and calls out to us in love. We've got three points this morning. The first is we hide in our sin, verse 8. The second point is God finds us in our sin, verse 9 through 11. And the third point is we blame in our sin, verses 12 through 13. So let's begin with that first point. We hide in our sin. Just after the woman and the man ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're told their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. One thing we need to understand about this is that it's not as if they didn't know they weren't wearing clothes before. But what it is that they realize is that their nakedness was something to be ashamed about. That their nakedness was wrong. That they needed to hide. To cover up. And so in verse 8 we read, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, we hear in one little encapsulated sentence the entire history of humankind. That now, when the voice of God is heard, it's not joy that we experience. It is the fear that our parent is home and we're in trouble. That our parent is home and we deserve a whooping. They say that the most beautiful sound that you can hear is the human voice. And it is true that when a baby is born One of the only things it knows is the voice of its mother, father. And that voice is something that brings comfort, peace. And up until this point, the voice of God was that for Adam and the woman. It was a voice that shouted joy, comfort, fellowship, communion, protection, peace. But now what it shouts is, hide, you're in trouble. There could be a lot to be said about this phrase, that they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It sounds very romantic, doesn't it? That God arrives in the garden at the point of the day where the coolness has come. And it's almost as if to say that this is a a habit of God's, that God would come at this time in the garden to walk with Adam and Eve at this time of the day, the most beautiful time of the day, which I'm thinking to myself, it's paradise. Aren't all the times of the day beautiful? Um, but there is some, uh, some confusion about the translation of that phrase. But the woman and the man heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
Um, primarily because God is a spirit and he does not have a body like a man. So how can he be heard walking in the garden? Well, some have said that a way that this phrase could be translated is that the woman and the man heard the thunder of the Lord God coming in the garden in the spirit of the day. It seems quite a bit different than the phrase, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But what we need to see here is underneath the Hebrew word for sound can also be translated as thunder. And walking can also be translated as coming. And the cool of the day, the word cool is the word ruah, which is the word for spirit in the Old Testament. And when we read it in that sense that the man and the woman heard the thunder of the Lord God coming in, in the garden in the spirit of the day, what it points us to is that future day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment, that there are sinners in this world and that there is a final weighing out that is to come. And in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord came to mean that, that the prophets would speak of the day of the Lord when the clouds, the sky would be darkened and judgment would come, that the stars would fall from the sky, decreation language that this was a predictor, this was a pointer to the day of the Lord. But, interestingly enough, the day of the Lord also, with that picture of judgment, come, came to, point to, the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let all the judgment that was predicted to come upon the sinful people of Israel and the world who deserved the wrath because of the sins that they had committed would actually be meted out upon Jesus Christ. And you go and you read Joel 2, the prophecy spoken by Peter the apostle on the day of Pentecost. And the, the word said of Joel 2 was, this is happening among you. But if you read, that is talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has come. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. The down payment that reminds us that we are God's and his alone. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And that we have been marked as his own precious people. And that we will be preserved and sustained until the end. See, it's true that in our sin we know what we deserve. We are like that woman and that man that we admit. We know deep down whether we admit it or not. We are running and hiding from punishment that is rightfully ours. It's what we deserve. And if you want to know the heart of mankind, if you want to know the heart of a human being, as you watch them go about filling themselves with all the joys that they could possibly find in this life, if you watch them go about distracting themselves 
with devices and Facebook and YouTube and Netflix binging. If you watch them go about trying to get all the things that they can in this life, success, promotions, the best job that they could possibly have, their dream job, the white picket fence, the family, the kids, that all of that apart from Christ is simply a running away from God. We are running from God who comes. You see, this is not about God coming for his evening stroll through the garden with the woman and the man. This is God coming in the spirit of the day of the Lord, coming with thunder and lightning. This is why Adam and Eve hide. This is why we hide. Because from this point on in human history, one thing is known deep in the heart of each and every one of us. God is holy. And we are not. But there's more, isn't there? We are running from God. We are hiding from God. But God, God finds us. Verse 9 through 11, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God responded, He told you that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Genesis 2, verse 17, God says to the man, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the truth is, God could have done it. You understand that, right? He could have snapped his fingers and sent Adam and Eve straight to hell right there in that moment, awaiting judgment. And he would have been completely just to do so. God didn't need to come walking in the garden. It's true that at the moment they ate that fruit, they began to die physically, die spiritually. They were cut off from God. But God came to them. You understand that, right? God sought them out. God called out to them. One of the most gracious words in all of Scripture is God saying to the man, where are you? He's speaking to the creature who deserves to die. He's revealing himself to the man who does not deserve it. The man is hiding. God is finding Don't you get it? If God had not come to them, if God had not called out to them, they would have hid from him the rest of their days in their sin and their shame. They would have run from God. But what does God do? He runs to them. Where are you? He says to Adam and Eve. Where are you? He says to each and every one of us. It is a call that goes out 
to all of us in our sin that tells us that we don't have to run from God. We don't have to hide. And even when we do run, even when we do hide, God finds us. God runs to us. God loves us. God will not let our own sin keep us from him. He will send his son to make it right. Christ will take our sin. Christ will give us his righteousness. So what was taken away here in the garden in this moment will be regained. We will be with him again. He will not leave us in our sin. And John Calvin said, God cannot become weary in helping his people or alleviating their miseries. And although he may suffer them again and again to fall into affliction, he is always equally ready to extend them the deliverance which they need. You see, you thought this was a picture of a parent showing up at home and you're in trouble, you're going to get a whooping. And instead what you got is a loving father who finds us in our sin and calls out to us in love. He says to us, where are you? Come out from hiding. He asks of them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you think God doesn't know what they did? You think this was hidden from him? God comes in the spirit of the day to remind us that even though it is true that the one thing left to us that we know for sure, even when we don't want to know it, is that God is holy and we are not, that God will not let our sin keep us from him. Our sin may be a big deal to us, but it's not to him. God will give his very own son so that we can cease from our hiding, so that we can be freed from our shame. He will give us a covering greater than fig leaves. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? We blame in our sin. When God asked Adam the question, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man answers, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. When confronted with what has happened, we immediately see the self-deception and blame shifting that occurs as a result of the fall. Adam says to God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You see, not only does Adam attempt to shift the blame to the woman, but in a very subtle way, he has the audacity to blame God. Listen to what he says, the woman you put here with me. Almost as if to say to God, God, before when it was just you and I, everything was fine. 
Then you had to go and put me to sleep and make this beautiful woman and put her in this garden with me. You did this. Can't you see? It's really your fault. If you wouldn't have made the woman and put her in here with me, none of this would have happened. God, it's actually your fault. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, will go on later to write, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James understands what happened in the garden. That desire. The same word that the woman says when she says the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. It's the same word used in the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. And it's not just the man. The woman, she tries to get around her own responsibility by blaming the serpent. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. It's an excuse that still happens today. You see, sin deceives. It says it's always someone else's fault. Anybody else's fault but yours. But repentance takes responsibility for your own actions. You see, it's not only true that God in his grace will not only not allow us to run and hide from him, but will seek us out and call out to us, And you need to listen to this. It's also true that God will not allow us to run from ourselves and hide from who we truly are. You see, Adam may want to blame the woman or God himself, but God has declared in his word in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. You see, Eve might want to blame the devil, but God has declared in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And even this God does in his love and grace. What is it that he does? He confronts us with our very own sin. He asks Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And what that is, that question that he gives to Adam, is an opportunity to confess. It's an opportunity to speak the same as God about your sin. To take personal responsibility and to acknowledge what you've done. God not only runs after us and will not let us run from Him, but He will not let us run from ourselves. Because it is precisely when we are confronted with our very own sin with our sinful condition, and we realize that we have brought it upon ourselves, 
that we are personally responsible for the sins that we commit, that we can no longer prop ourselves up by our fig leaf coverings or look to another creature for hope. It is when we realize that God has come in the garden in the spirit of the day, the coming day of the Lord in judgment, that we see our need for one who has been judged in our place. It's that God in his grace brings us to the revelation, the realization that we have no one to blame but ourselves. And we have nowhere to look but to Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, for redemption, for grace. What we learn here in this moment is that God finds us in our sin and calls out to us in love so that not only will we not run away from him, but we will not run away from ourselves. We will know that it is true that we are sinners. We take personal responsibility for that. We relinquish ourselves of the duty of trying to prop ourselves up and save ourselves. And we look to Christ for salvation. One of the most powerful moments that I have had in realizing the graciousness of God as my father is when my parents have gone off and asked me to do something and I heard the car driving into the driveway. I heard the car door opening, shutting. I heard their footsteps up to the door and I had that deep, tremendous fear and trembling that I was about to get in trouble. And I was bracing myself for that punishment. And instead, they walked in. I told them what happened. And they embraced me in a hug. And said, it's okay. I love you. That's what God has done for our first parents in this scripture this morning. And that's what God has done for us today. God finds us in our sin and calls out to us in love. Will you listen to his call? Will you respond? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not let us hide from you. That you did not 
let us hide from ourselves. That you sent your son to seek and to save the lost. That the coming of your son is not only accomplish your revelation, but confronts us with our own reality, our sinful and fallen state. That we look to the law as a mirror to show us our need of a Savior, and we look away from the mirror to Christ for our redemption. We try to hide from you. You find us. We try to hide from ourselves. You show us who we are. And in love, you give us your son. And how will we also not receive all things with him? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.